Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here with Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Shut the hell up, man. <laughs> yep, uh, we're back. Star Trek, the Captain's Log project ongoing. Now we're on to film... Seven. Film seven. And this is Star Trek... Generations. Uh, so we're going to do this from now on. I'm going to speak and you finish my sentence. Is that right? Yes. That wasn't really, that was just a question. But anyways. Well, there was nothing left. Yeah. Okay. Full get, stop. Yeah, so this is uh, this is us now getting to, um, we're, oh, must be, is this the halfway point now we're at? Um, I suppose it is. This is like the mid, the mid film. In rough, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, so this is, this is pretty good. Um, I'm looking forward to this. This is the first time the two different, uh, the two different series kind of merge into one the original series some actors I think is it just, is it just William Shatner well I don't want to I don't want to say too much All right, okay. <clears throat> to spoil it but it's not prob- it's probably not going to be the way that you expect mm-hmm. it to be mm-hmm. I'll put it that way so we've got it's so it's still seen more or less as a next generation film then yeah I would say so it's definitely a passing the torch film though Without right. a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Um, it's very... It's an interesting film, actually. And now this is obviously coming off the la- the back <clears throat> of the last film. Uh, how... how Let's set this, on, this one up then. How far away are we from that last film? It's actually set... The start of it is set in the same year. So you, you see Kirk and some of the crew after they've retired. And what happens next, basically. Um, it's quite an important event. And then it skips forward to the next generation time, which is about 75 years later. And then you have this whole setup that conspires to bring some of those elements together. Um, but I was I was actually, we were having a conversation about this before we started recording. I was saying the film's interesting because you get to see Kirk as this legendary figure through the eyes of someone in the film, or people in the film, rather than just the audience, which is interesting. Uh, because it's usually the audience that admire someone and they're looking at someone, but this is it would be like one of us meeting a historical figure, yeah, you know, or historical figures or however you want to look at it, um, that maybe we admired or that inspired uh, inspired our careers. I mean, Picard does the exact same job as Kirk; he's a captain of a starship, and then there's Kirk, who is arguably the most legendary legendary captain of a starship that ever was. So. It's interesting to have that in a film where the audience and one of the main cast members is reacting the same way mm-hmm. to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the film's probably told more or less from the perspective of Picard's side of things, I imagine. We are meant to certainly sort of associate more with his side of it and relate to his yeah, s- story. I think that was a, a, dis- a definitely a, a deliberate decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, at certain parts of the film, when it when it when it matters, that's when that's happening. Definitely. What year did this film come out? Nineteen ninety four. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So this is right in the next generation's kind of like the series had been going on for a few years at this point. Uh, seven years. The series had finished just the year before or that year, and then they launched into the first film. So the next generation was one of the biggest TV programs ever on telly at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a massive following. It was on 
everybody was watching it at dinner time. I'm sure even even yourselves probably had it on an occasion on the telly uh, in the it, background at least. It was a show that I never sat down and watched, but it, what it had obviously been on and, and Your things like that. Have watched it. I think my dad had a phase where he was watching them. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was it was strange. It was, it was that or Voyager. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but yeah, he got into it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so who who's who's the director for this one? Um, the director, I'm actually not too sure to be honest. Um, with this film, um, I've never really looked into this film from that that point of view. In, from yeah, precisely we'll, because we'll, we'll get that after this then, and we'll, we'll maybe the, look into it. The reason I never did is because this film, I guess, the events of the film itself override everything else. There's things I do know about it, like I know about Malcolm McDowell, obviously playing the villain because he's from Clockwork Orange. Oh right, okay. Um, and very famous actor anyway, um, and he's really good in this this role. Um, uh, in terms of the the music, I think it's Jerry Goldsmith again. Okay, so he's kind of like a at this point he's been used before, hasn't he? A few times. A few times he's kind of like the the sort of traditional Star Trek. He goes on composer. to do most of them from this right. point up until the reboot films. Okay. Um, but in terms of the director, I'm not too sure. But I, I do know from from reading about the film or looking into the film when I was looking at the I was listening to the audiobook about the 50 year history of Star Trek there was some interesting stuff there was actually two scripts for this film um, written at the same time uh, of which the, the the studio made a decision about what one to go with and one of them would have seen Picard uh, interacting with a holographic Kirk on the holodeck uh, to solve some sort of mission and I, I think they felt that wasn't genuine and I, I wouldn't have liked that as much either. Mm-hmm. And this one was actually written by Ronald D. Moore and someone else I can't remember who who had worked on the show it, itself, and it was the first time they'd ever done a movie script. So it's not. I don't know. It's I like the film. I really enjoy the film. There's a couple of points in it that maybe are a wee bit boring. Oh really? Yeah. Um, are they on the level of the the, the sort of? Not that the film is boring, but it is upon that first film, the motion picture. Is it on no, that level? No, nothing like that. It's definitely the film's got some drive to it, but mm-hmm. there is a scene that I just sit and I'm like, oh, when's this gonna get? When are we gonna get back to the action again? I think they designed it as sort of a break so that you could relax a wee bit because there's a lot of action going on in this film. Right. Okay. Um, and this would probably be the first time you could say that about these films because they haven't been the most action packed, haven't they? They have been more character driven, um, based on. I, there's been action moments, yeah. and it has ramped up, especially with the last film. Well, I mean, say you were to take all the action scenes and cobble them together, you've got, you know, The, the Wrath of Khan, which is an action film at certain points, the ship's getting blown up. and Oh, certainly, and got, certainly. You know, you've got um, the Enterprise being destroyed in Star Trek 3, and the pl- a whole planet explodes in Star Trek 4. You've got the whole of Starfleet getting knocked out, um, you know, by a probe, Star Trek 5. They meet God effectively um, but you've got Kirk running around in, in this giant face shooting lasers at him mm-hmm. a Klingon ship appears out of nowhere Star Trek 6 Enterprise getting blasted to hell uh, certainly but, there's been moments but I wouldn't say but the that... difference is mm-hmm. I think I know where you're coming from is that, that this is the difference between films then and films now I would say in some sense is that you get a mixture of these character moments and action that maybe you don't see so much now mm, that's, that's an interesting point actually um so would this film feel a bit more modern in that sense then? I don't think so. No. I think 
the first one that starts to feel that way is the next one, First Contact, okay. which came out in 1996. And that, to me, 1996, I think, is the earliest glimmer of modern <coughs> modern day action cinema because that was when Independence Day came out. And that was the film that changed it all for the action movies and disaster movies or whatever. Because Independence Day's formula, you can track that down through everything right the way down to like Guardians of the Galaxy and all those kinds of films. The sort of ensemble... There's massive stakes, huge, enormous use of CGI and effects. massive set piece events. Uh-huh. Yep, and it all comes together. Like at the iconic end. moments in cinema now. Yeah, and Independence Day was popular for that reason. It was a film that people. I remember taking a video around to a couple of friends. Like, um, uh, I'll, I'll say their first names: Mark and Leanne. So you know who those are um, from school. I don't want to give people's full names on the internet, but. Um, and all of us running around the living room with excitement as this film was on, just because of how it just had that magic to it. So I think I remember the trailer alone. It was a film that I wasn't able to go and see at the cinema because we were too young for it. But Same my, here, yeah. My dad came home from watching it with my mum, and was just, you know he was so excited, but I, f- I think he felt guilty that we couldn't see it because we kept on asking how good was what what happened, what was that, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, it was one of those ones where we couldn't wait to rent it out. You know, I don't know if people would feel this, at that level of excitement about a film. I think it was almost Star Warsy in the sense that it was so new. Independence Day, we're uh-huh. talking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was. Yeah, you don't get a lot. Of, well, I suppose we're talking around the same time that uh, Endgame is making massive news and money. Is it? Is but I don't breaking feel that records. It's revolutionary in the way that. Well, I haven't seen it yet. Were. I'm going to go and see it hopefully this weekend. But, uh, anyways, back to Star Trek. So. This film is more of an action film, but um, still not quite on the the side of the the, the modern take of the sort of what later films will do. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, I would agree with that. I think it's if I was to describe it, I'd say it's a, it's got three aspects to it. It's got the action side, it's got a quite spiritual side, and it's got a character driven side. Okay, and those three things are kind of equally represented in this film. Which is, again, unusual because usually it's stacked towards the action. So, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um, I think that will cover most of what we need to discuss um, before we go into this, just to let you know. Uh, we're now going to go and watch the film, and this will then become a spoiler special because we'll be going to third act reveals and all sorts of stuff like that. So, again... The usual disclaimer, if you haven't watched it and are listening to this and actually want to see the film before we talk about it, I would suggest go and watch the film. Exactly, and I don't send in complaints if you did ignore that warning, because we will take a leaf out of N64 Magazine's book and give you some interesting responses. That's a very specific reference there. Um, go read N64 Magazine's letters page. Yep. Anyways, that's unrelated, but uh, <laughs> let's let's get to the film then. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Bye. And we're back. We have now watched Star Trek Seven Generations. Yep. So, what did you think of it, Steve? Well, yeah, we just spoke about it just uh, a moment ago. Um, yeah. Just trying to collect my thoughts. I, I I feel like I liked the film overall. I think it was a, a fine film. There was some a great mix of action, some great character moments, and for me, this was this was essentially an introduction to the next generation cast. I have not watched those episodes, any of the seasons. Yeah, and so was it seven seasons before this film. 
Yeah, I mean, it's quite a lot. Seven years of TV. Yeah, so I'm now familiar with the films and a little of the series of the original cast. So going into seeing the moments with the few cast members into it, I was more familiar with their characters. But then trying to kind of grapple with the kind of where we're at with the next generation cast. It's a bit of a weird perspective for me watching this film. A lot of people would have watched um, the sort of your Star Trek fans would have probably watched the the next generation series and then watched this film. And so to be honest, probably most of the public at the time would have been mm-hmm. very aware of that. Yeah, um, I obviously knew Picard and things like that, and, and I've heard of Riker and things like that, and then Data as well. But um, Jordi, I wasn't really familiar with, and the other characters, the Doctors. Well, the doctor. to be honest, a lot of them uh, in a movie, it's an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm generally speaking uh, whereas in, in the TV show you would have had episodes that focused on war for the Doctor, Doctor Crusher or or Data or Geordi so you would have got to know them a lot better through that through watching the series whereas in a movie you don't really, you just get the broad strokes of the characters from the, from a movie really don't you? Yeah exactly um, and, and on that um, overall, like I was, you know, uh, from a general point of filmmaking, I thought the film was was fine and introduced the characters enough. That I'm, but I suppose it's the same as Star Trek One for you, in a sense, because you didn't really know. You knew who Kirk and Scotty and Spock were, but you didn't know who anything about them really. Mm-hmm. So it took six films for you to to get to the point where you knew them. Yeah. So by the end of the next generation films, you'll probably feel. At least with the next film, you've had that introduction with that familiarity of Kirk and Chekhov and Scotty being there. Mm-hmm. That you you've had that ease into it, and then the next film, you're gonna you're gonna know who the, who the characters mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. So, but I suppose the big thing in this film really is the Kirk situation, isn't it? That's the that's the big story really of the film is it's the end of Kirk's story. Yeah, it's the it's the the arc has has fully closed on him with spoiler his death at the end um which for some reason i didn't see coming <laughs> um i should have obviously but um so that was interesting and it was a nice closing it's quite a brave move i think to yeah kill him yeah off. well i think you know it was it made sense because they weren't probably gonna they could not they'd done enough films with that cast and they had done their transition this was their transitional story so it makes sense to have finality to the character and usually in film that means the death of the character and they give him a heroic death and things like that so you don't see him as a doddery old man just dealing with retirement and playing Scrabble at the old folks home Um, they've given him a heroic death and whilst dealing also with um, Picard as well, so it, it got some great scenes between the two actors, which was a good closing, I think, for Kirk. What's quite interesting is that you get to see Kirk tempted by the idea of not being the hero, and when he was in in the Nexus, with certainly, Picard, yeah, wants to get married to someone, have a family, not be in Starfleet anymore, and do things differently. But then, through conversations with, with Picard, he realizes that that is his. It's almost like a destiny film that it's not his destiny to settle down and have a normal life. It's his destiny to to continually take part in these actions that are saving people and 
making a massive difference. That's a line that's said quite a, quite a lot in the film by Kirk is, have I made a difference? Are we making a difference? That's a big a big point of conversation. And in the end, it's it's about uh, making sacrifices for the better for the betterment of other people. Sacrificing your own life and your own happiness for um, the safety and security of other people, which is quite a big part of the characters of well, any of the the captains in Star Trek, and in fact, you could say any of the characters even in Star Wars, or I mean, you could say Luke Skywalker, for example, gave up a lot of his own personal life in Star Wars to look after other people. Yeah, true. Um, I feel like it's like a hero trope almost. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice is a big part of being a hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was interesting seeing him really dabble with the idea of, you know, taking the easy option and going with, you know, changing his destiny and going with what he clearly wanted as part, you know, from a selfish point of view. Yeah. Um, but well, that's interesting the word selfish actually because that's that's the thing is that, yeah selflessness I suppose is a part of the mm-hmm. a part of the hero character isn't it that they, they don't think of themselves first they think of other people and yeah. they, they do something that's going to um, I suppose that's something that you could look at in anyone's life people's lives is that people who are tend to be looked up to or or respected tend to put other people ahead of themselves within reason would you say that's a fair? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, fair assessment. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the film. Um, so the opening, then, let's talk about the opening with Kirk, uh, kind of getting treated with this great respect. He's and Kirk and Scotty and Chekhov at the uh, you know it's a few years later, and there's a new crew on on the Enterprise and paying their respects to these legends you know yeah um and it's all about patronizing isn't it yeah it was quite patronizing because the new captain of the enterprise was you know he was saying things that he he didn't realize were quite insensitive such as that he'd read about the missions when he was in grade school so he would only have been it would have been what under 10 years old and he's been reading about captain kirk so that's going to make kirk and scotty and Chekhov feel really old yeah it was, it was, it was a kind of, these guys, obviously, it's in one hand nice to be treated with complete respect um, for your accomplishments in life, but it was all a bit much. Yeah, with the, the, all the journalists around as yeah. well that were just in their face and mm-hmm. obviously as well, that these are people who have retired they're, and they're also not people that put up with bullshit either. Mm-hmm. So they're just... It felt a bit fake, didn't it? A little. That was well, uh, as the I think that's what they were trying to... Come, yeah, that, that's what they were trying to convey was this idea that, and the, and the thing is, it kept doing these little shots of Kirk wanting to. He was looking at the captain's chair all the time. He wasn't quite at peace with the idea of not being in charge, and there was a number of times when the ship was called into action and the the new captain wasn't quite responding properly to that. That Kirk was getting up out of his own chair and almost wanting to take over the situation to obviously bring it he had the experience to deal with it whereas the the new guy didn't Mm -hmm. and what was interesting was there was a point where Kirk could have taken command of the ship where the new captain said he was going to go and deal with a problem down below decks and Kirk 
he said you have the bridge and Kirk sat in the chair and then Kirk said no you stay here I'll go and, I'll go and handle the situation down there it's your place to be on the bridge of your own ship so uh, yeah it's a lot it's quite complicated I suppose when you look at the the dynamics that were in play throughout the film uh, in the opening I would say it was Kirk accepting the fact that his day was over in, in the sense of being the commander of the ship and that he was in more of a supporting role which then led him to be blown out the side of the ship into the nexus and again but it felt fairly natural it didn't feel contrived no that's the thing yeah you know the film was trying to place kirk inside the nexus so that he would be drawn out of the nexus to meet picard Mm -hmm. but it didn't feel like it was contrived it did it felt like kirk's route to to getting into the Nexus was quite natural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I quite like about the film is it does feel, you know, because the film has flaws, pacing flaws and, and, and elements of boredom throughout the film. There are, you know, flaws there, but it's not a contrived film. No, it isn't. What, what... And that's maybe why it feels boring is because it's tried to place everybody in the most realistic way possible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which can be boring. What um, scenes would you say were the ones that struck you as the most uh, boring? Well, when Card gets drawn into the Nexus and he's got his own family, I mean, there's moments in there that are quite touching, you know, where he, he sees a relative that had died and he, he's quite You made the point touched. when we were watching it, which was interesting, that this film, when you were younger, was more was less affecting yeah. because... There's more life experience you've gleaned now that you can relate to what's going on with these these actors, these characters. So the idea of being a father or being an uncle or, mm-hmm. or those sorts of things are now something that... It was more, more mature issues at play, which yeah. is why it is a bit more um, interesting. And I could relate as well to some well, of I've these. Well, I watched this film when I was, what, 10 and then 20 and now 30-ish. I would say that at this stage in my life there are parts of it that would affect me a lot more because I understand certain family dynamics a lot more now than I would have done in the past but it doesn't change the fact that those parts of the film are still a bit boring a wee bit you know it it is a break in the middle of the film there's no doubt about it there is a definite section in the film that they've maybe slowed the pace down and I think maybe they felt that the audience needed a bit of a breather especially when Card is in the Nexus and he's seeing his ideal family and it's this sort of Christmas scene of them all having dinner and opening presents and all that kind of thing but there comes a point when you're thinking get on with it and you probably felt that way as well a little and then it transitions to him meeting Kirk who is inside the Nexus who has from his perspective just arrived there after being blown out of the side of the Enterprise B and is quite confused about where he is and what's going on but just kind of accepts the reality because it's so it's so it's given him a chance to relive parts of his life that he he regretted but I would agree with you on you had made the point that maybe it was a little bit disappointing it wasn't quite as epic as it could have been partially yes I agree but also I was always interested to see these kind of poignant parts of Kirk's life that weren't explored in such great detail um of his life outside of his career where he had romance or had a pet or you know all these different had his own home and all these things that were the life that he could have had 
which you would never really get an opportunity to see. But it isn't, you know, it, it, they could have done so much more with it. They could have made a film that, I, th- I think if they if Shatner and, and all the other cast members and everybody were, were the, that age today, they would have made an absolutely epic film out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, they, I don't think they quite appreciated what they had at the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe the fairest way to put it. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe they were so wrapped up in the idea that they were going to kill Kirk that they got that they concentrated so much on that and they lost some of the narrative elsewhere. Because mm-hmm. killing Kirk is a huge thing. It's a massive, enormous event to take place at the time for pop culture and in the Star Trek universe. So, What did you make of the subplot with Data and the emotion chip? It felt to me like that was the sort of thing you would get in an episode, but it didn't feel... I don't know. I, I, it didn't work for me for some reason as a thin part of the film. Uh, yeah, there was a... I found them a I mean, I think it's maybe because I'm not really familiar with the character, so maybe it helps. Are you going to say the word annoying? I found them a little. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, to be honest with you, right, thank God Geordi actually addressed it because Geordi was irritated by it as well. Well, that was the whole point, wasn't it? He was meant to be annoying. He was annoying the other crew, but as a, you know, as an audience member... <laughs> was a little irritating. I suppose if you'd watched the whole show, it would be different. But, I don't know. It's still, I would say, weirdly enough, I find that more annoying now than I would have done in the past. Yeah, I think so. I reckon it might have even been funny back, um, you know, when you were younger. and As a child, it was hilarious. And then, as mid-twenties, it was alright. And then, now it's just like, shut up there. Mm Mm-hmm just get on with it but I did like the bit where he was too scared because the thing is Data, too scared to rescue Geordi was quite a, an interesting bit for Data because Data is an android who can't really be hurt mm-hmm. so that's an interesting like they, they could have played with it outside that that prolonged humorous bit which it, it was almost like the old um, you've taken that too far the joke. It was like, it just went on and on and on and Data was laughing and joking and laughing and jo- And eventually you were like, okay, we get it. He finds things funny now. Or his sense of humour isn't very well developed. Mm-hmm. How many scenes are we going to have with that mm-hmm. before we get the point? Yeah. Because that's all that, all that a scene exists for in a film is to communicate something to the audience in some way. That's all it's there for, right? And that's how films can be quite tight. You get the information you need out of the scene, right? All we needed was one scene of data being a complete jerk with humour. And that would have been fine. We didn't need, what was it, 15 minutes of that? Mm. Because that was too long. It was it was too much. It was protracted. And it, yeah, I wasn't clicking with it at all. It was, but again, I wonder. Maybe the first couple of bits. Yeah, yeah. But as it went on, it was like, all we needed to know was that Data was stupid with humour and then that Geordi was irritated. Mm. And those two scenes would have been fine. And they could have been quite quick. Whereas we got a, an extended... And that's the thing, it was an extended scene, wasn't it? Of them walking around and doing different things and Data was coming out with these different jokes and it was like, oh, come on. And that's the thing as well, is that there was... Like a scene like that, I would have cut by ten minutes and had ten more minutes of Kirk and Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, I, that was the important thing that you can't do again. You can have plenty of scenes with Jordy and Data and, and following movies. I suppose it's it's one of those things where how many times do we say in the previous podcast where I would like to have seen the other cast members get something to oh, do? Yeah, you did. So thing, I yeah. feel like I'm going against that by saying almost taking away scenes from the sort of ensemble and, and giving it back to the main but cast m- to develop their stories better because maybe that's why the original films were so good. Well, it's because they were tight and uh-huh. you knew who the audience really wanted to see. It felt like there was an episode in the next generation in the next generation series where that should have been the focus, Data's emotion chip or something. And I'm guessing there might have been, and it's this was taken it further, but it 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 felt like it it wasted the that story. That could actually have been an arc in, in a series or an episode. Instead, it was wasted as a sort of silly subplot in this film. But what's interesting is in the next film, they actually subplot that very well. Right. So okay. they've learned from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like an egregious failure, I would I, say. I find it... I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that they could have done so much more with this film to make it a, a kind of a a one-off amazing movie that you would never get again and in some ways it is mm-hmm. I mean it is it exists it's a crossover film but I think they missed a lot of opportunities by focusing on the wrong stuff and I think as well there there are moments in the film that are confusing to anybody who's watching it really like Lursa and Betor, the Klingons who are the renegades who are in league with the main villain of the film Soren. a lot of people could look at that and think who the hell are they? All you'd have to do is miss a couple of episodes of the next generation and you'd wonder why are the Klingons suddenly enemies again after well, Star Trek 6? You, th- you know, I had to explain that to you. I, you I feel like it. I had asked more questions than I ever had in any of the films prior um, to try and understand where we're at with certain characters. And that's a sign of a bad script. Yes, because I felt that film was made for people who have watched this, the, the Next Generation series. But even they would have been confused mm-hmm. by some of it. Because I, I had no idea why well, was right? Saren so in league with these renegade Klingons as you say well you had to yeah I mean it made sense in the end once it was explained I mean basically he had a weapon that they would use to reconquer the Klingon Empire um, and they had the mobility to take him where he needed to go to do his weapon research as well so there was a, a but that, that was not clearly it was explained. communicated maybe a little too late and more obvious a little too late but it should have been a bit more obvious from the crazier beginning. things Steve right now, Soren is the expert of trilithium and creating these missiles that fly into stars and blow them up, right? Why did he kidnap Geordi and interrogate him about trilithium? That was his only question to Geordi. Hmm. Why the hell? Now, I get that he took him to get his visor and give the Klingons the ability to attack the Enterprise. I get that. But why did he say, Mr. LaForge, I want you to tell me everything you know about trilithium? Why? He had had 300 years of, or, or well, at least 70 to 80 years to research trilithium and had actually successfully created the missile that did blow up a star. So why did he have to interrogate Jordi about it? Was he asking what they knew about it? But what, what difference would that make? It would make no difference to anything. That's always confused me. I thought, well, why, why bother? Hmm. Interesting. Quite a gaping plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, if, you you brought up the fact that Picard gave himself up as a hostage, which 
makes no sense given the fact that yeah, the, seven years of the TV show mm-hmm. Picard was protected as the captain. The reason I mentioned it, we as we watched the film I pointed out that Kirk had done this as well. He always put himself it was a heroic thing to do from a film point of view of course it shows the hero Kirk but was they, 78 years mm-hmm. before so culture had changed. Right. So Kirk's time it was more acceptable to do that whereas you're correct I, I compared it to a general and army. They sit back because they're making the big strategic decisions. They wouldn't go in the very front and get hit by an arrow. What's interesting about that analogy is that captains of starships in Picard's time are more like generals because the ships are so huge. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a, a ship with 400 people on it. It's got 2,000 people on it. It just seems a little irresponsible to just keep putting himself out there yeah. and let the subordinates have to deal with any you know horrendous results from it. Um, but I, we've kind of this is a lot of like nitpicking and plot point. Well, it's not been nitpicking. Some of these are actual the thing is issues. To, yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, it's it, the thing about this film is that I would say that the biggest that I have two parallel feelings about this film that exist simultaneously. So on the one side, I went to see it when I was young and Kirk died in it and he was a hero of mine through watching all of Star Trek and all that kind of thing so I've got a bit of an emotional connection to the film in the sense that I do kind of like it in in an emotional sense but on the other side of it I think it's such a massive missed opportunity Mm -hmm. as well that's what the film feels like to me I feel like they got some parts of it right showing the launch of the Enterprise B Kirk you know, his whole actions in the first section were fine and some of the intro of the new cast. But, you know, what it really should have been was it should have been uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy and the Next Generation crew throughout the whole film. Yes. At least. I think that would have been fantastic. With at least Scotty and Chekhov and all that in the first bit. And then them three at mm-hmm. the end, and if Kirk gave up his life to send his two friends back or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of yeah, you know, but maybe maybe not a, a world ending thing because Earth wasn't threatened in the film. That's one thing I do like as well. This is about Soren's personal vendetta to, or whatever personal uh, obsession to get back into the Nexus. I like that. It's not Earth centric. Mm-hmm. You can understand why he wants to get back there. His whole family were killed. And I liked him as a character, I'll be fair. Malcolm McDowell was he quite... killed it, I think. Uh, yeah, I think Malcolm McDowell really nailed it. I think he he looks maniacal and his outfit looks cool. I thought as a... As he had a and he was ma- still young enough in that film to be kind of... Yeah. vibrant. Mm-hmm. He wasn't an old man by no, any stretch. No, he was spry enough that you could um, feel threatened by him. And he, he certainly... He carried the part well. Um, and I, So as a villain, I thought he was interesting. And his voice was great as well. Yeah, like. he's got a great kind of, um, a great command, commanding voice. And also, the, the obviously established that he has some power over these Klingons, who from the experience I've had with these films, Klingons, you don't mess with these guys. Well, he almost had contempt for the Klingons. Yeah, yeah he, he really, you know, spoke down to them and things like that. Um, so... Yeah, I really like that. From a villain point of view, I I was I was you know satisfied. I thought it was great. Um, I think there was enough scenes probably to to build up the chemistry between Picard. Maybe maybe could have done a little more. It was so funny when Kirk turned up and he's like, "Who the hell are you?" Yeah, because from Soren's point of view, 
he would just have appeared from nowhere. Well, that's what Picard did, though, which I pointed out. Yeah. Ridiculous. No, but even more so. I, uh... At least he spoke to Picard. Suddenly, he spoke to Picard, and then he looks up, and there's this guy who's just appeared out of the completely out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he quickly recovers and tells Kirk that, um, according to his knowledge, he's dead. I like that as well. That's quite a good line. I like that. Actually, I do read history, Captain. And according to history, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, liked, I liked Malcolm McDowell in this film. And from a performance point of view, it was uh, Picard I liked. I, you know, I really liked um, Patrick, you know, Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Um, I think, so. although you, the scenes were a little slow and, and tedious side, the, the performance... Picard's, you know, Patrick Stewart's performance was great when he's kind of reflecting on, you know, the loss of and bereavement of the family and things like that. Um, there were strong, great moments when he's kind of communicating to the is it the the doctor who's the the female in catch Deanna Troy, she's mm-hmm. the counselor, the counselor, right? Which would make sense. Ah, uh-huh. it was and it was a great scene there. Um, kind of getting a. a, a a sort of view into his emotional state, which he doesn't show, I'm guessing, too often. Not not overly. But then again, I suppose if your nephew and uh, brother are burned to death yeah. fire, you're well, gonna yeah. be mm-hmm. you're gonna be really upset. Yep. So mm-hmm. as, it, there was a lot in the film really about Soren had lost his family, Kirk had um had regrets about his life choices, Picard had lost family members, and there's this this phenomenon called the nexus in which you can go and relive your life and and meet the people that you have lost so each one of those characters had a stake in the nexus so the i asked you about this so the nexus was described by whoopi goldberg's character uh what's her name gaia gainan gainan yeah um so she described it to picard earlier that it's a place of pure content you know contentment joy yeah just Eternal. I suppose it's like heaven. Yeah, essentially, it might as well have been. So, and the time doesn't exist in that sense of you can go back and forward as and when you please, and everything's just excellent. <laughs> so, in some ways, it sounds amazing. But then um, again, Kirk had that moment where he was jumping over, when yeah, horse ride so jumped the, over the yeah. ravine and realised so, so he didn't feel the fear. So, the moment, yeah, I was going to ask about it because the characters, although Picard has prior knowledge of it going into it, which nobody else had. Right. So, is that, that's, is that the difference? Because I did feel that Whoopi Goldberg tells him once you go in there, you know, you'll never want back out. Never. Right. Well, and he, within that, 10 minutes, is like, well, oh, I want back out. But bear in mind that Guinan and Soren and Kirk ended up in there unexpectedly without having any conception of what it was at all or any, or that it would do anyone any harm. Mm. Whereas Picard has been told that this thing what Soren's doing is going to result in the death of about 230 million people and possibly more. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. So Picard was in a shuttle and he just happened upon it and got sucked in. That would be entirely different. Kirk got got blown into it in the middle of an accident. You know, he didn't know what it was. Nobody was at stake at that point. Um, and 
were, or or at least anyone who was was rescued because the the crew of the or the passengers on the ship had been rescued at that point. Uh, Soren again was a refugee, and Guinan were was a, was a refugee, so they they wouldn't first of all have known where it was, and had it would have had any duty to protect anybody. So I do feel that Picard's perspective was different, and he did struggle with it. You could see that he gave in to it at the start. Was happy to see his nephew and this imagined family, and also almost went to have the dinner. He nearly did, and he needed to see the little. There was some some kind of uh, vague image of stars exploding within the Christmas decorations, the Christmas baubles that you see, and that was his subconscious almost reminding him there's something not right about this. Yeah, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think they did enough to explain that Picard has come to some sort of sense. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Fran has signalled he needs to... <laughs> I always love the wondering how you're going to edit these breaks. Yep. And we're back. Um, what what were we saying? Well, I had an idea about a point, actually. Um, it's quite interesting, because this film came out in 1994, and I watched it, and I, I guess I was quite upset by the death of Kirk, and, but I didn't really understand Card and his um, feelings about things. But in 96, I had the first, my first sort of experience of bereavement, I would say, in my own family. And I remember watching the film again and kind of thinking to myself, I kind of get Picard when he was upset about his family, like the, the bereavement he'd experienced. So it's quite interesting, the journey. If, you, if, if you're quite young when you first watch a film and then you watch it again, like you, you tend to find that your reactions to it change over time. But I remember that even just a couple of years later, being only about, what, 96, what age would would we have been then what like 10 or something or 11 10 yeah so I do remember watching it on video at that point and thinking oh I, I do get that looking at a photo album and being upset about something at that you know at that stage Um, so I'd say that you know the film is it's a mixed bag of really good moments and boring bits and missed opportunities I yeah would say. I would agree I think we've not but, touched but it is lovely to see Shatner again in the sandless Kirk fighting in the sand I think his strong points are the end and the arc to Shatner's character Kirk with you know some great moments from Picard as well and my favourite scene is probably the Enterprise crashing into the planet (laughs) yeah we haven't talked we haven't talked about that and I feel like we should now a great moment great segue yeah yeah I mean it is it's, it's weird because that's a part that should have aged really badly because that was done almost entirely with practical effects. It was a model that, well, that was shot that's, into the ground. That's the difference, though. Practical effects usually don't age as badly as well, early. It depends if it's a early, really old film, stop motion, and things like that. I, I personally, I think yeah, it was ILM that did mm-hmm. it. ILM actually did that, so they shot a saucer section of the Enterprise into this model of the ground and then slowed it down. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it it looked fine. It did not. There wasn't 
the obvious shot where you're like, oofed, I would take that out. Um, where the scale was wrong or something. Yeah, it looked fine. Um, and, it, you know, I, I thought it was great to see and it, it wasn't too rushed. It actually was quite protracted as it was it's hitting each point yeah. of the trees and things like that and, and, and then cutting back into the chaos inside. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was really well done. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't think it dwelled too much on the... <laughs> the deaths of, of maybe some of like the, the, what really happened there because that was some massive uh, well, was, they said casualties were light yeah but bear in mind out of a crew of 1500 that could have been 150 people yeah so it was kind of like ah, some people died yeah right but at least you know Picard's okay yep <laughs> um it was a little kind of strange but because I knew watching that that was not something I mean it the the ship was lucky not to just explode the way you would see when air, airplanes crash land um so but it was still as a as a scene it was great scene and i think the soundtrack as well was great at that point yeah um, well goldsmith did quite a good job jerry goldsmith is mm-hmm. the soundtrack mm-hmm. for this i think he 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 did a basically it's like an event film soundtrack it's quite driven quite you know it's not it doesn't overpower the scenes but it's you know, there's an excitement to it, mm-hmm. to this soundtrack. Whereas the next film is, is a lot more poignant and quite interesting, to be honest. Okay. But, I, you know, you were saying that you were more interested in watching The Next Generation. Now, after the next film, you definitely will be because there's backstory there that you're going to want to look into. Yeah, that's the one thing. These films certainly have piqued my interest in watching the old series. I'm certainly wanting to watch the original series again because you showed me some clips after having watched the films and just seeing them younger and now having seen their their older selves in film i really am intrigued to to watch the the actual original series but now root for a lot of people yeah and i think now i also also now want to watch the next generation so i've got a lot of television to watch as well as everything else i plan to watch it's fantastic well luckily the best bits of star trek are limited so there's not you know I mean, Discovery, you could watch that and form your own opinions, but if you take Discovery and the prequel, not prequel, the, the new movies out of it, um, you've got a, it's, it's a, it's a completed whole that you can watch, basically. Like, there's nothing that's going to affect that with, with the exception of the new Picard series that's coming out soon, which is going to be really interesting. So that, um, I'm surprised because you have a bit, you have a bit of a downer when it comes to the modern stuff that they've done. You're not a big I'm fan of. I'm hoping that if it's so, I'm surprised you're. I'm surprised you're still excited about well, something that they're I hope doing. It, if it's got a connection to the old stuff, I'm excited. Like if it's got a connection to Discovery or the. I mean, I liked the first new film because it had Leonard Nimoy back, and Discovery to a certain extent has been okay, but. I just feel like a lot of the talent is gone, <laughs> like, you know, in terms of the writers and in terms of who's directing these episodes. Um, Jonathan Frakes did a couple of good episodes of Discovery in terms of directing them, but um, I think that that it's ludicrous that you can have a universe like Marvel at the moment that is completely interconnected and has a proper canon to it and then ignore canon for things like Star Trek. Because we know the money spinning machine that is Star Wars and Marvel, and how people love that interconnected universe. Why would they screw it up? Paramount has got a lot of things to answer to. I'd say Paramount and CBS 
um, have to really look to Disney in terms of respect in a franchise because as much as well, we could say that some of the films are maybe not as good as we wanted them to be they're canonical Star Wars has played around with canon enough yeah, to but only not with the on screen canon mm. not with the that... on screen canon now imagine that someone said Boba Fett was a woman on screen and had always been a woman right you'd look back and go what <laughs> Boba Fett's voice yeah, that's not, you know, unless they smoked a thousand cigarettes a day or something. But, like, you know, it's, or made some massive change that was on screen. Yeah, Star Wars changed the extended universe, but they never, ever changed the on screen canon. And that's what they've done to Star Trek. And that's really irritating. But I'm more forgiven towards J.J. Abrams' movies because they're set in, like, in an alternate, alternate universe. So I kind of get that. But Discovery. Sorry, but, you know, why don't we go back and redo World War II with laser guns? Because it looks better. Well, okay. Um, on that, let's let's round up our conversation <laughs> then. Um, we're <laughs> conscious of time. Um, I think we've covered most of the areas that we, we need to. Um, so, let's get to the rating then. What would you rate this film? A three, and only because... Because of the fact that you close out Kirk's arc. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a three as well. I'd say a two. If it was just a straight up next generation film, it would be a two. Because it's got Kirk's, the end of Kirk's, that's that extra star there. Has my opinion of this film in any way impacted you? Like, Because you were quite excited going into this one. Um, and I feel like me feeling a little underwhelmed by some of it no, has impacted not, your opinion. Not at all. I can be excited by a film, but also... You kind of know where it stands. Definitely rate rate the film on how it is in reality. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not a, it's not the best. It's muddled and it's got boring bits. But you know, <clears throat> again, as I've said before, there are bits in this, like Star Trek Five. Star Trek Five. I am glad it exists because of a couple of scenes that are really good. Star Trek Generations is the same. We get to see the end of Kirk's life journey. And he dies how he lived, and that is, you know, that is worth that extra touch to giving it above average mm-hmm. to having a three star. Um, whereas if it was just the next generation episode that they were all going around looking for this mystery guy who was firing missiles, two stars or even one. But I would, I wouldn't say one. I think there was enough stuff in there. McDowell's performance, I thought, was great. Take a lot to me, of annoying I, stuff with data. See a one, a what? Let me just picture this a one star film is the sort of thing you see a super mario brothers like but then again you've got zero stars as well no it's just one to five so all the all the terrible ones fall into that one they still land on a one one star is real poor like almost tasteless nothing to recommend a two star film is a heavily flawed film that has the odd moment that is worth seeing but is still difficult to recommend. A three-star film is a flawed film, but with enough to to give it a, a recommendation. Um, and you know that's to me where this film sits. And a four, of course, is yeah. Go and see this film, or not go and see it, but download the film or stream the film, mm. whatever to or buy it. Um, to see the as you enjoyed the crashing of the Enterprise into the planet, the death of Kirk, you know Picard and Kirk meeting, but don't. You know, expect every scene to be great because some of them are really quite 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it hits. So remember we spoke about um, those scenes, even in Star Trek V, a film that has is not the is not known as the greatest. It's probably one of the more flawed films, right? Which is interesting that we but, rate this the same. Yeah, but I think on an overall because they level out about the same. But that that even that film had two great scenes, uh-huh. like five um, star scenes. Yeah, and say. I feel like this film had no no scene like that. I don't feel that. I'd I, say it had a couple of four star scenes. Uh-huh. I don't. Almost. I didn't feel like I Kirk's had, death. I would say you've got to put up there because it's, it's uh, close. So important. Yeah, I it didn't. It, it still didn't for me for some reason. But I wonder if it's again. Our history with the series is 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 more you know, and when you watch the film, yeah, um, has a, this is where all perspective really does come into it. Yeah, definitely. But, okay, so I agree. Three star film and uh, for Star Trek Generations. Uh, and what we're finding here is that the odd Star Trek films are still above average, which is really quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it'd have to be incredibly poor to to really get the two in one star, I think, and I don't I don't imagine them doing that. Um, maybe one down the line, a more modern one. Um, you might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will see. Um, the thing is, I I liked that film initially when it, but I had no reverence for the series, so. Uh, it was just you know a fun action film, but I'm intrigued to know to see what my opinion is when we watch it. All of those reviews are going to be interesting. Yeah, if you aren't picked up on the fact we're talking about Into Darkness, um, yeah. right? Into Oblivion, more like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So on that note, we are going to finish up this podcast. Thank you, Fran, once again for coming into my studio. You're you're very welcome. <laughs> I, I'm not going to do what Gordon did and ruin the image. Of the studio. Oh, the f- yeah, it's really plush. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got loads of pop culture things everywhere. If there was a video in here, you could see a wall of games and movies, posters. And um, we're both sitting in big, massive leather chairs. You know, we've got attendants coming and giving us, um, you know, little teeths and hors d'oeuvres now and again. Yeah, um, drinking, it's not, drinking it's Romulan It's not just ale. the room in a house, Romulan ale. Yeah, that's illegal. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're not just in a room in a house doing this on the side okay then (laughs) scene pictured thank you for that Fran welcome (laughs) alright then till next time bye 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 bye